tonight before we read our text. And uh, this is this is starting a message. You ever wonder about what people think about you? You ever wonder about that? Do you even care what people think about you? And uh, to some extent, most of us care what other people thinks about us. You know, even even those that say it. And most of the time, the ones who say it the most care the most. You ever notice that? But but to extent we do. But but let me ask you another question: Has anyone ever told you what they think about you? If they haven't, won't you join the ministry for a little while? <laughs> uh, sometimes when they tell you what they think, and if you ask them, or if you 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 ask them, wait, what do you think about me? You are sorry that you ever asked. Sometimes, sometimes you you wish you didn't know. There's been times in the ministry where people have told me what they felt, thought of me, and I was glad they did. And there was a lot of times where there've been uh, people who shared their thoughts, and I, I, I didn't like it. I, I didn't like what they thought about me. Uh, that's why I don't ask. I just don't. I don't ask. Not that I don't care. I do care, but I'm not asking, uh, and because I, I don't, I'm afraid they're going to tell me <laughs> if I ask them. But I want to look tonight at a little different thought. On a spiritual perspective. You know, if, if you were to ask Satan, what do you think about me, Satan? I believe he would might say something like this. You are a failure. That's, that's probably what Satan would say. You're a failure. Uh, if you were to ask society, society would say you're a fool. You're a fool for what you do. You're a fool for what you believe. You're a fool for how you live. And you know what? If you'd ask yourself, your own heart, your own heart might say you're a fake. You ever heard those things? You're a fool, you're a fake, you're, you're a failure. And sometimes people hear that on a daily basis. I heard about somebody today or somebody this week who all they ever hear at home is you're a failure, you're a failure. They never hear any words of encouragement. They, ever, they never hear any words of of admiration, they always hear, you could do better, you could do better, you could do better. I wish you was more like this one or that one or this one or that one. And, I've, and, I've, and I know this, that I've heard those words before, and those words are not, even when you know you failed, it's hard to hear it. You ever heard the words, you fake? You just fake? Sometimes we tell ourselves that. Sometimes other people are a fool. But you know, it really don't matter what Satan thinks about you. It doesn't matter what society thinks about you. And it doesn't matter really what your, yourself thinks about you. I know we're living in a day of, of self-worth. And there's a measure of that. But, uh, but that's even that has gone so far. We, we think so much of what ourself think. You, you wonder what people think about their self. Follow them on social media. You'll find out what they think of their self, right? What is on your mind and selfies and all that kind of stuff. But, but here's the thing. You know, what all, you know what really matters in the end? What really matters in the end is not Satan, society, or self. It matters what does God think about you. What does God think about you? Have you ever thought about that? What does God think about me? And, and, and then to think, is it possible to know what God thinks about me? Can I, can I know what God thinks about? And then if, he, if it's possible to know, do I really want to know? What God thinks about you. 
And I want to look at the first eight verses of chapter number three. And I want to see what I believe is, is some things that God thinks about us. Some, some, some things that God tells us in these verses about what he's like. Now remember, Paul is writing to Titus. Titus is this preacher, this pastor on the Isle of Crete. He is trying to get these churches back in order. These Cretans had, had did some things that were not right. They had, 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 had done some things that were not right in the church. And, and they had went their own way. And he's there to set things in order. And we saw in chapter 1, there is the, uh, the order of the pastor. Chapter 2, there's the order of the people. And then now in chapter 3, we find out how we're supposed to behave in society. We dealt with that last Wednesday, verse number 1 and 2, uh, how we're supposed to act in society. And so God, God tells Titus, put them in mind about a certain things. What, what should we be thinking about? What should our minds be on? And here's what, here's what he wants his, their minds on. He wants the saints down at Crete to know who they are in Jesus to know who they are in Jesus and to know what they have in Jesus. What has God done in them through Jesus? What does God expect out of us because of Jesus? And so uh, tonight I want, I believe the Holy Ghost wants uh, from the Word of God to tell what the, the saints down at White Graves Road, what does God, uh, what does God think about you? What has God done for you? What has God done through you? What are, who you are in Christ Jesus and, and who, what you have in Christ Jesus, who you ought to be. So tonight, I'm going to answer the question, what does God think about me? Number one, verse three through six. God thinks you're precious. Look in verse number three. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which is shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. See, Satan says God does not care about you at all. But God says something completely different. These verses, God shows us that God loves us unconditionally. And God loves us more than we can possibly understand. Notice the extent of his love. Look at verse number three. For we ourselves also were. Notice the past tense. Were sometimes foolish. Look, this, it goes on this list. And verse number three paints a vivid picture of what a believer was before they found Jesus. And my friend, this paints a picture of all those that are without Christ. All those who have not been saved by the grace of God. But my friend, this paints a picture of us before we knew Jesus and before Jesus stepped into our life. Notice what he says. You're foolish. You know what that word foolish means? Ignorant of everything to do with God. Uh, no wonder the world acts like they do. They don't know God and they don't know the things of God. They're foolish. Then it says disobedient. You're rebellious toward the things you do know of God. You're rebellious against the authority instituted by God. It says foolish, disobedient. Then it says deceived. That word deceived means to be continually led deeper and deeper into sin by Satan. You know, 
That's how Satan entered into the world. When he got Eve, he deceived her and, and she fell and then Adam fell. And you know that's what the devil wants to do to you tonight. He wants to deceive you. He wants to trip you up. And you know it, when you was lost, you were a deceived person. You didn't know what the truth was. You thought you was following truth, but you was really following a lie. And my friend, that's what we were. We were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. But then notice what it says, serving diverse lusts and pleasures. My friend, before we were saved, we were slaves to fleshly appetites. We were slaves to fleshly passions. You wonder why this crowd is a slave and a servant to their sin? It's because they're lost without God. My friend, I don't care if they sit on a church pew or not, but my, if you are a slave to the diverse lust and pleasures of this world, if you're enslaved by that and bondage by that, you cannot be free in Christ at the same same time. That's what he sets you free from. But my friend, that's what he says we were before we were saved. We were serving diverse lust and pleasures. Then it says we were living in malice. You know what that means? We were given over to a lifestyle of evil, a lifestyle of anger, a lifestyle of malice. And then it says envy. You know what envy is? Never being satisfied with what we have. Always grasping for more. Always looking at other people saying, I I wish I had what they had. I wish I had their life. I wish I had their stuff. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their family. I wish I had everything they've got. Envy. That's what we were before we saved. And then it says this, hateful, hateful. Oh, my friend, full of hate. You know, that's the natural fruit of all that other stuff. That's the natural fruit of envy. That's the natural fruit of malice. That's the natural fruit of, of, uh, uh, of disobedience and deception and and being a servant to diverse lust and being foolish, the natural fruit of that is being full of hate. Listen, that's the kind of love, a life that's mean-spirited. That's the kind of life where it's hard to get along with. Full of hate. And then it says, hating one another. That means walking without love for our fellow man. Listen, all of those things are painting the picture of who we were before Christ found us. And that's who we were. And sometimes, listen, and sometimes that's how that's what pops up in our life even now, doesn't it? That old man, that old nature pops up every now and then, doesn't he? And says, so that's who we were. Listen, that's who we were. Listen, that's a terrible condition. Nobody would love somebody uh, hateful. Nobody loves somebody living in malice. Nobody loves somebody a slave to sin. Nobody loves disobedient people. Oh, but there's a God in heaven that knows our condition and even in that condition he loved us. The Bible said, but God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and he saw us in our need and he saw us in our sinful condition and he, the extent of his love towards us is that he saw us in our worst state. He saw us and he could have written us off. He saw us and it could have allowed us to go to hell. Oh, but God in his love, he did something about it. He loves us, the extent of his love. Now, we think about our love, our love's conditional. Now, you can, you can talk how you want. Now, some is worse than others, but you can talk how much you want about how loving you are, but your love is, uh, is conditional. Ours is. And uh, it doesn't take much for me to cut it off, buddy. I'm telling you. Uh, and I, 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 I wish I was better than that. I wish I was a better Christian. Alright? But I'm telling you, our love is conditional. We got a God in heaven. That loves us no matter how bad we are. 
No matter how disobedient we are, no matter how foolish we were, no matter how deceived we were, no matter how, how uh, tangled up in that lust of the flesh and all that other stuff that I mentioned, uh, no matter how we tangled up we were in all of that, God loves us. That's the extent of his love. I'll tell you what, it's easy to love somebody that loves you. It's easy to love somebody that's right to you. It's easy to love somebody that does for you. Oh, I'm telling you, it's hard to love somebody that doesn't love you back. But God's love for us, he could have written us off, but he loved us. But then I want you to the evidence of his love. Look in verse 4. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appear. Look in verse number 6, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He says, after that, what was that? After he saw how disobedient you were. After he saw how deceived you are. After he saw how foolish. After he saw how wrapped up in sin you were. After that, in spite of what you were, in spite of what you are, God chose to display his love for us. And how did he do that? Through Jesus Christ. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God gave his evidence for his love for fallen man by sending his only begotten son into the world to die for our sins. That's the show's up. Now listen, you want evidence that you're precious to the Lord? You want evidence that you're precious in his sight? You, know, you don't have to look no further than Calvary. Look at Calvary. Listen, before we even get to Calvary, we're in, in this season where everybody, you know, went from work, you know, we, we got this, this season right now that everybody's about to start celebrating is the birth of Christ. Now whether that's really what they're celebrating or not, I could, I could probably make a really good argument that they're not, but, but, you ain't got to look no path. You don't have to look further than Bethlehem. And the God of all glory condescended down to a lowly manger in a lowly town to lowly people lived among sinful people and he lived among a poor people and he lived among common people and he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He tasted, listen, you know that God, that Christ had never thirsted before he got to earth? He had never hungered before he got to earth. He had never been tired or weary or agonizing before he got to earth. But he was tempted at all points like we are without sin. And he did all of that for us. And then we go to bloody Calvary. And then look what he did for our sin. You want to see how precious you are in the sight of God? Look no further than Calvary. Look no further than the bloody cross of Calvary. You don't need a feeling. You just got to look at the cross. You don't need emotions. You just look at what Jesus did for you at Calvary when he died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And you must know that you're special to the Lord. You are precious in his sight. He loves you. And that's the reason for the awful death of Jesus Christ. You know what the cross says? Jesus on the cross says, I love you. And you're precious to me. You're precious to me. You're special. You're precious. I see the evidence of his love, the sin of his love. But then I see the energy of his love. Look at verse number five. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed abundantly uh, on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The energy of love. What did this wonderful love do for us? What did the energy of its love, what did it, what happened? Well, look in verse number four. You see that but there? I like those Holy Ghost conjunctions. I like those conjunctions. Verse number three is real, real bad, right? Verse number three is, is talking about how bad we are. You want to know what God thought about you before you say? Well, he, he didn't think about it, but he knew you was foolish. He knew you were deceived. He knew you were disobedient. He knew all that about you. 
but, but for the wages of sin is death, but God, but, but God, for God committed his love to that. Now listen, but, but God, but God, but God, and God but it in your life and he changed the direction of your life. He changes everything. Brother, I can hear Brother Stenet Blue preaching on when God butts in. Amen. God butts in. He changes everything. See, he saw us in all our sin. He saw us in all our baggage. He saw us in our bondage. And yet he chose to butt in our lives. He chose to save us by his grace. You know, that prodigal son, that prodigal son deserved judgment, didn't he? But you know what he received? He received mercy. God butted in the prodigal son's life. God butted in our life. You know what, God, look in verse number five. Look at just a few things that he did for us in verse number five. This is the energy of his love. Well, number, the first thing I see in verse number five, uh, that he extended his grace and mercy to us when, when we deserve nothing. But hell, look what it says. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. He extended his grace and mercy. We didn't deserve that. Your works didn't save you. Listen, listen to me. And God didn't save you because he knew what you'd do after you saved either. That's a lie of modern humanism. That's another, that's another man-made uh, doctrine of, of devils, really. God saved you because he knew you'd be, you would be wonderful after you got saved. No, God saved you knowing you wouldn't be wonderful after you got saved. Knowing that in your own self, you'd still mess up. Knowing in your own self, you're still going to fall short. God saved you because of his mercy and his grace. That's the bottom line. That's the only answer. Why would God save me? Because of his grace and his mercy. Why would God save you? Because of his grace and mercy. God's grace and mercy steps in on life, not works of righteousness which we've done. He extended his mercy and his grace. But then the next thing I see, he saved us from the penalty of our sin. That's what the word means there. But according to his mercy, he saved us. He saved us from the power of sin. We don't have to live in sin no more. He, he, uh, he saved us from the penalty of sin. We don't have to die in our sin. Thank God one day he's going to save us from the presence of sin. <laughs> Amen. So, so, he, so his mercy and grace stepped in. Then he saved us. And then look what it says. By the washing of regeneration. You know what that word regeneration? He, he cleansed us from the defilements of our sin. He washed that foolishness off. He washed that disobedience off. He washed that deception off. He washed all that lust of the flesh and malice and envy and hatefulness and all that. He washed us and then it says he made us a new creature out of us. He regenerated us. You know what regenerate means? It means to make a new creature. He didn't just wipe the slate clean. He gave you a brand new slate. He didn't just turn the leaf over. He gave you a brand new book. Amen. He regenerated. He washed you and he regenerated. And then, look what he did. At the end it says, and renewing of the Holy Ghost, he placed within us the Spirit of God to lead us deeper and deeper in this thing. As we go, that's the renewing of ourselves, the, the renewing of our minds, the renewing of our hearts, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Well, that's the big stuff he did for us. That's the, that's the energy of his love for us. Some would say that he, he loved us enough to create the world, but then he and then he just sent the world into orbit and let us deal with it. And some would say he loved us enough to create us and, and to even die on the cross for us. But then he leaves us to live like we want to and live do whatever we want to. But my friend, that's not real love. You know, what if I'd have said to my wife over 13 years ago, I love you, I'd like to marry you, put a ring on her finger. And then I, I got, we got married and for 13 years I hadn't showed back up at the house. But every now and then she gets some little liberal, little liberal, little messenger shows up at the door and says, I'm going to tell you your husband loves you. 
I just want to tell you, husband loves you. Maybe every now and then, send her a little note. Just want to know, don't you know I love you? But watch this, I don't show up at the house. I don't take care of her needs. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't make sure she's took care of financially. I don't make sure she's took care of physically. When she needs physical attention, I don't, I, don't, I don't help her out. When she's sick, I don't help her. When she's hungry, I don't feed her. When she's tired, I don't let her sleep. What, and I just never took care of her. What kind of love is that? That's the kind of God that people's preaching out there in this world. This, this idea of you just going to take care of yourself. God's created you. He loves you. He creates you. God will even save you. He loves you enough to do that, but he ain't got. No, no, no. Our God does so much more than that. Our God loves us first. Yes, he created us. Yes, he saves us. But then he indwells us. And he renews our spirit. He renews our minds. He regenerated us. He washes us. He saved us by his mercy and by his grace. And that's the extent. God did all of that without the help of any of us. He didn't do it because you was good enough. Your works didn't do that for you. Your religion don't do that for you. Your efforts can't do that for you. They're only, all of that just compounds the problem. But God did all of that for us. God's love, watch this, God's love was not the love of a secret admirer. Y'all remember that kind of stuff? I don't, know, I don't know if they have that stuff nowadays with all this modern technology these kids do. But I remember, remember somebody writing a little note They'd put it in your locker or put it in your, on your desk and, and it'll say secret admirer or it'll say I like you or something like that and they wouldn't sign their name to it and you had to go on an investigation tour finding out who it is. You was watching everybody who might look at you cross-eyed. Maybe that's her, maybe that's her, maybe it's her. Hope to God it ain't her, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Secret admirer. That's not the love of our God. Love of our God it's not a secret. No, he loves us so much, he went to work to see us saved. Listen, Satan tell you God don't love you. God, Satan will tell you God don't love you at all. But you know what? Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. The evidence shows different, Satan. The evidence says different. The evidence says you're precious in the sight of the Lord. Hey, God sees exactly who you are, but he loves you anyway. Number two, God thinks you're precious, but God thinks, watch this, you're perfect. Now hold up now. Don't cut me off right there. You better listen to what I'm about to say. Verse number seven. That being justified by his grace... We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now listen, the enemies of your life, the, uh, Satan and even your flesh are going to tell you you're dirty, you're wicked, you have no hope at all. But don't forget, the devil's a liar. And don't forget, your heart is deceitful. Amen. Watch this. What does God think about you? He says he's justified you by his grace. So we've got to define that word justified for a minute. What is the definition of justified? What does it mean to be justified? Well, justified comes from a word that means this, to render righteous or such as he ought to be. So to render righteous or to render as you ought to be. Here's what, here, here's what the word means. It is, this word speaks of God declaring the saved person, watch this, to be in a perfect and right Standing before God. We're going to 
go further with this, but you got to get the, the basic definition. Is that God is rendering you righteous. He is rendering you as you ought to be before him. So what does that mean? Now you got to understand this. Justification and forgiveness are two different things. Let me, let me, let me make it as simple as I can. Forgiveness, with forgiveness, there's the remembrance of sin. Right? A murderer, a murderer kills somebody's family member. And that family may say, we forgive you, but the acts of that murderer will never be forgotten. Right? You just go to the graveyard. You just see that picture of that loved one that's gone. The, the act will never be forgotten. To be forgiven in the Old Testament sense of forgiveness, the picture, the greatest picture in the Old Testament of forgiveness is those scapegoats. I've preached on it years and years and years around here. But that scapegoat, you had two goats. And you'd take one goat and you'd kill that goat and take that blood. And then the priest would take that blood on the horns of the other goat and he'd sprinkle that blood on, that, on the horns and he'd grab the horns and he'd confess the sin of himself, the, the sins of Israel, the sin of whoever came to him and confessed to him. And then the Bible says a fit man would take that, what they call a scapegoat, they would, he would take that far outside the city walls, far outside the city, and they'd take that scapegoat and they'd let it loose. Now, a goat can't find his way home like a dog does. And so what happens is the picture is they take that scapegoat out of the city, and inside the city, they, it's forgiveness. You could find that scapegoat if you wanted to. You could go out there and, and pull it up. That's forgiveness. Now, watch this. I'm thankful that the Lord was better than a scapegoat. <laughs> Amen. He's the Lamb of God. He taketh away the sin of the world, right? And I'm thanking God for forgiveness of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. But justification goes further than forgiveness. Justification, here's, here's justification. Justification, you are totally acquitted and exonerated of all the charges. Here, here's what it means. There's absolutely no record of wrongdoing. You can't find a record. You can't find any wrong. So, so here it is. When we're justified by God, all the record of our sin is forever banished from the memory book of heaven. There are no sin. We sing the song in the choir. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. That's the doctrine of justification. A justification is, it is as if we had never or will never sin. Hallelujah. Just as if I'd never or will never sin. That's what justification is. The bottom line is this, the law has no claims on a justified person. The law of God is satisfied. The law of God is satisfied. There's no case against the justified ones. There's no charges against the child of God. Here's what it means. So we got the de definition, justification is being rendered righteous in the sight of God. The, the description is that it is exonerated, acquitted, totally acquitted from all wrongdoing. There's no record. But here's the defense. Here's the defense. Some of you may be here tonight, may hear this and say, well, that's good. Hallelujah. I've ne it's like I've never sinned and I never will sin, so there's me an excuse to keep on sinning. And you think to yourself, maybe, well, if the Lord doesn't remember my sin and he's already declared me righteous, then I can just do what I want to, right? I say this, according to the word of God, if you think that, you are dead wrong, and I mean spiritually dead. 
Amen. Your spiritual death. And, and you, you way off. See, now listen. You can be saved and still sin. Right? Had some young ladies ask me that the other day in the foyer. Can you sin once you get saved? Because I want to stop sinning. I said, well, I'm glad you won't stop sinning. But I got sad news to tell you. That after you get saved, you can still sin. But watch this. And, and listen to me. When you do sin, it's not going to affect your relationship with God. You're still saved by grace. You're still justified by God. That condition never changes. You're still a child of God. But watch this. When you sin, two things will happen. You need to remember this now. Number one, when you sin, be sure you will reap what you sow. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's Galatians chapter number 6, verse 7 8. You reap unto, unto corruption, you're going to reap You sow unto yourself flesh, sow unto the flesh, you reap corruption. Sow unto the spirit, you reap life everlasting. So be sure, child of God, when you sin, be sure you're going to reap what you sow. Number two, be sure. God will bring chastisement into your life. God is not a liberal 21st century parent. Are you listening? God is not just going to overlook your sin. Now, when you're ignorant, when you don't know no better, God may wink at it. But I'm telling you around here, there's so much preaching on sin, so much teaching on sin. There's more light around here. I'm telling you, some of these young folk here and even you older folk, you've had more light in your life. You have more light in your life than a lot of people get. There's a responsibility with that. And so whatsoever man soweth, that shall also reap. And don't forget, God will chastise you. Why? Because he loves you. That's why parents chastise their children. I'm telling you, a parent that will not discipline their children does not love them. I deal with it every day. I deal with it every single day in our school with parents that don't want to discipline their children. And I have told many of them, I've told many of them, you know why you won't do it? Because you hate them. Well, I don't hate my children. Oh, you do. you do. You must hate their guts. You must want them dead. You must really, really don't care a lick about them. Oh, you don't understand the reason I don't is because I love them. No, 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 no. No, no, because if you love them, you'll judge them, you'll correct them, you'll chastise them. And God loves us too much to leave us. He loves you so much he'll take you like you are. But he loves you too much to leave you like you are. Amen. The extent of his love is he takes you in your foolish, deceitful sense. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. You might be saved and forgiven as far as heaven. God's concerned there are going to be earthly consequences for sinful actions. I've said it before. Low living carries a high price. Ask Samson about it. I need to preach. I need to pull that message out of, the, out of the box, out of my message box back there. That's before I was even typing them up. That's still in my message box where I was writing them out in boxes of messages I got in the office back there on the high price of low living. That's what I need to probably pull out and preach some more. Listen. You go out in this world and you live like hell, you're going to have hell on you. Right? Listen to me. This is so simple. I love sitting by fire. I mean, if you want to know what my hobby is, if I had a hobby, it'd be sitting by a fire. I mean, really. I could do it all year long, 
all day long. I'd rather do that than just about anything in the world. I love it. But you know what? If I'm sitting by a fire, everybody knows it. Right? My wife don't have to ask me when I walk in the door where I've been. She smells it on me. My fingers will smell like it. I'll be in there, I'll, 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 I'll get in the shower, and, and you know, I, can, I can smell it coming out of my hair. I can smell it in my face. I can smell it on my skin. Even sometimes days later, I still smell it on me. That don't bother me one bit. I love that smell. I wish they could, if they bottled it up and sold it as a cologne, I'd wear it. I love it, buddy. I mean, I like it. Watch this. You go out and live in sin, live like hell, it'll be on you. It'll tell on you. Amen. You, low, low living's going to carry a high price. So here it is. God sees us as we really are, but he sees us how he made us to be by his grace. So number one, he thinks we're precious. Number two, he thinks you're perfect. Number three, he thinks you're privileged. Look at verse number seven again. It says that, that being justified by his grace, look at this, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now here's what, Here's what Satan's going to tell you and society and self is going to tell you. It's going to say, serving God is a waste of time. They'll say, it does not pay off to live right. Go to church, pray, read your Bible. They'll say, you know, it don't pay off. Well, God sees a little bit different than that. He says this, you're privileged people. Y'all heard that. In this society, they call us all privileged, you know. They call us all privileged. And, uh, well, you know what? We are privileged. We are privileged. And it ain't got nothing to do with the color of our skin. It's got everything to do with what happened to our heart. You know why we're privileged? Look what it says. We're privileged because our earthly hope. Look what it says. It says, should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We say, well, that's, that's another hope. Well, we're going to get there in just a minute. Now, we're living for what's coming in the afterlife, right? Hey, you know what? You know what's helped us the last couple, last, yesterday and today? What's helped me and my wife? It's helped me. I hope it's helped her. But the hope of one day holding that little baby. Now, yesterday, uh, I held that baby in my hands, and uh, we're going to bury that baby here tomorrow, Lord willing. And, uh, but I held that little baby in my hand, and... Uh, and I, you know what's helped me so much is to know that one day we're going to see that little baby again. One day we've lost that one back in 2019. We've we got two babies waiting on us when we get to heaven. And I'm telling you, I don't know what all that's going to do. I don't know how all that's going to work when we get there. But I know this. I know this. We're going to get to see them again. That's a hope. And so, and so, and know what? I'm living for that afterlife. But watch this. And that's when we think, well, that's when we get our inheritance. That's when you get your inheritance most of the time is, is when after death, you know. If somebody owes you inheritance, you get it after death. But watch this. The one who promised us our inheritance says they some parts of this inheritance you can get right now. Why? Well, the one who gave it to us already died. And he rose again. And so he is, he's got an inheritance for us. And I'm looking forward to heaven. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But we are partakers in the inheritance of the Lord today. I mean, think about how good we've got it today. Just a few things. And I, won't, I can't give you all the verses. We're running out of time already. But you know what? One of the inheritances is that the God, God is always with us. 
But the Lord is always with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He, God, he said, this long I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Watch this. He's also promised to meet all of my need, every bit of my need, according to the riches of his grace. He has promised to meet those needs, and he cares about everything I go through in this life. He cares about all the problems I face, and he listens to me when I pray. That's an inheritance from God. What about this? Uh, you know what? It seems like to me he's doing his best to spoil me. I don't know about you, but I'm living the best life I've ever had serving Jesus. I wouldn't trade this life for a million, billion, trillion, billion, trillion, zillion dollars. I'm telling you, God's been too good to me. He's doing his best to spoil me. He's taking real good care of me. And he's doing it in spite of the devil. He's doing it in spite of the world. And he's doing it in spite of myself. He's taking real good care of me. Oh, yeah. Hey, listen, you can take it any way you please. But if you're saved, you're a privileged person right now, thank God. Privileged because of our earthly hope. But watch this, privileged because of our heavenly hope. Amen. Yeah, it's just going to get better, y'all. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. Joel Osteen wrote a book, Your Best Life Now. Now, I'm telling you what, I'm living the best life I can live. I'm telling you that right now. But this ain't my best life. Yeah, man. This is the worst my life's going to get. And I'm telling you what, if this is the worst my life's going to get, man, that's good. You know what? This is the closest thing I'm getting to hell. This is the closest thing I'm getting to damnation. Hey, I'm going to heaven. I'm heaven bound with a hammer down. Thank God. We're privileged to what we have here, but we're privileged to what we're waiting on us when we get out of here. Oh, look what I'm trading for a mansion. Oh, thank God we've got a home in heaven. Thank God we've got a perfect place reserved for us. When we get there in his presence, we have the hope that we're headed to a city where there'll be no more death there'll be no more party there'll be no more sorrow what a privilege it is to be a child of God we have the best life here but we got the best life coming hereafter amen thank God what a God we serve he sees us like we are yet he loves us he sees us how he's made us and he sees us how we're going to be one day that word, that phrase, made heirs. All that we have, all that we are, and all that we will become is because of His amazing grace. Amen. Psalm 100 verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, He is God, and it is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We're precious people. He saved us by His grace. Apart from any works at all, he made us perfect people. He blesses us in marvelous ways, promised us a home in heaven someday. We're privileged people, but last time I'm done, he, God thinks you're profitable. You might think, well, God can't use me. You might think, well, I can't amount to nothing as a Christian. You might think, look at what I've done, look at what I'm doing. Look at who I've been. I've wasted my life. Look at me. I'm a failure. The truth is different. <clears throat> Look at verse number one and two real quickly. I've preached on these last week. But put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready at every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawler, but gentle, showing all meekness and unto all, uh, all meekness unto all men. God wants to use your walk. 
God is telling these people in verse number one to walk in a disciplined manner. Obey the laws of the land. Submit to people who are in authority over you. He says this, by your simple walk of faith, that's proof you're different from this world. And just the way you carry yourself day by day, Christian, is a powerful witness to this world around you. See, you love, you live for the Lord, and you demonstrate His love and His grace and what you're doing, and you allow God to live through you, and, and God will use that to touch people's lives. Listen to me, a disciplined, holy life is a powerful tool in the hand of the Lord. What did Jesus say about it? He said this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, the powerful tool in God's hand is a holy life. See, you may not think bowing your head over lunch and praying over it makes a big deal, but it's, God can use that. You may not think reading your Bible at break time at lunch ain't much, but God can use that. You might not think just showing up on time and doing a day's work for the glory of God, you may not think it's a powerful testimony, but it is. You may not think just being kind to that cashier or being nice to that businessman, or whatever it is you do, and you just being a Christian out in your life, you may not think it's a big deal, but God can use it for not only your walk, but with your witness. Verse number two, speak evil of no man. Goes on talking about that. The way you treat others is a testimony in God's hands. This is what they're told to do. They're told to avoid fighting. Remember, they were beasts. Remember them Christians, he said they were lying bellies, slow bellies, liars, and beasts, evil beasts. He said this, just treat people right. Avoid fighting. Avoid fussing. Avoid gossiping. And just treat people with gentleness and meekness. He's saying this, just have a testimony that you're different. That's what the world does. The world gets involved in all that stuff. Don't get involved in it. You conduct, you conduct yourself the way others treat other people. That's a powerful witness. <clears throat> Somebody said, what you do speaks so loud that I cannot hear what you're saying. I've said that. My mom used to say it all the time to me. She said, I can't hear you because your actions are speaking louder than your words. I've, I know you know that's right. He can use your witness. He can use your walk. Watch this last thing. I'm done. He can use your works. Look in verse number 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will, that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. God wants to use your works for him. You set your heart to go after God. And you're going to soon discover God didn't save you just to keep you out of hell. He saved you to put you work. And you may not think God can use you, but he can. No matter where you're at in your life. If he can use a murderer named Moses, a blasphemer named Saul, a adulterer named David, a rebel named Jonah, a loudmouth like Simon Peter, he can use you. If you'll just do what he tells you to do. Your life can be a, of immense profit to the kingdom of God. Satan's going to tell you that ain't true. Society's going to try to stand in your way. Your flesh is going to try to sit you down. God says different. He saved you. He knows what he wants you to be. He knows what you're capable of becoming. If you let him work in your life, he knows what he can do with your life and you'll just give your life totally to him. So I asked the question earlier, what's God think of you? He thinks you're precious. He thinks you're perfect. He thinks you're privileged. He thinks you're profitable. 
That's how God sees you. The question I have too now tonight, what do you need to do to line up with that vision? What do you need to do in your life to line up with God's vision of you? If he sees you that way, he sees you're, you're, you're perfect and precious. Now that's something he's, he's done. He's privileged you with some things down here. Maybe, maybe in this season of thanksgiving, we ought to be thankful for what he's done. Be content with the things which he's given us. He sees that we are profitable. How can we line up with that? and Be used, be a tool used in the master's hands. These things are only true if you're saved tonight. If you're not saved, then I'd be a good night for you to be saved. Because what does he think about you if you're not saved? Well, he thinks you're in trouble. He thinks that you're living a dangerous life. He looks at you in love and he, and he knows there's a way out. He's made a way out. There's hope if you come to him in repentance and faith. If you're not saved, not be good, not be saved. But if you are saved, this is what God thinks about you. You know what you got to do? You got to accept it. Live in it. I don't know about you, but when people think something about me, if they think good things about me, it, it helps me a little bit. Like I said, you, you can say what you want to, but everybody likes an attaboy every now and then, right? Everybody likes a little pat on the back, a little, hey, you're doing a good job. Hey, sometimes it comes from the most unlikely places, doesn't it? I, some of these kids around here sometimes, they'll come up to me and say, preacher, I like that preaching. And they don't even know. They, I, I can look and see they ain't really paying attention, but that just that encourages me. And every now and then there'll be somebody just say, hey, preacher, I just want you to know you're doing good. You know what? Sometimes at the school, someone say, hey, I just want you to know you're doing a good job. At the house, my wife sometimes says, hey, I just want to thank you. Or something like that. Just, that just puts a little more to it, don't it? Well, I've just told you what God thinks about you. That makes me want to go serve him a little bit better tomorrow. Makes me want to live for him a little bit more, a little bit longer, serve him a little bit harder do a little bit more for him because he's done so much for us.